Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. There's a lot of conversations around the people impacted by incarceration, but a key group is often overlooked. It's the families and communities of those incarcerated uh, who are losing opportunities and stability and a host of other things. Uh, Chris Bates is a legal fellow with the Orangey Hatch Foundation and author of the Hatch Center Policy Review, a family-centered approach to criminal justice reform. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us today. And this is one that caught my eye because I think this is such a big gaping hole. And we always talk about criminal justice reform, but we rarely talk about families. What have you learned? Boy, you're absolutely right. This is an extremely critical part of criminal justice reform. It's something we should be thinking about um, really centrally whenever we whenever we talk about this issue. And um, let me talk a little bit about kind of what first sparked my thinking and the Hatch, uh, Hatch Foundation's thinking on this. Um, we hosted a webinar last year with a woman named uh, Alice Marie Johnson, who had spent over 20 years in uh, prison before she was pardoned by President uh, Trump in 2020. We were actually fortunate to have Senator Lee join us on that webinar as well. And uh, Alice spoke really powerfully about obviously how challenging it was for her to be uh, incarcerated, but in particular, how difficult it was for her and her relationship uh, with her family and her children. She was first incarcerated. She was actually uh, sent to a a facility 1,500 miles away from her children, never saw them. It wasn't until much later when she was transferred closer home that she was able to to see them. Um, But in that respect, she was more fortunate than a lot of other uh, folks who who are incarcerated in that she was able to maintain uh, some relationships uh, with her family so that when she came out, she wasn't a total stranger. And she, she spoke really, really powerfully about how uh, how challenging it was for her, but also for her fellow inmates who weren't able to maintain those relationships. And when they left prison, they were really, you know, felt disconnected from their families and how, how hard that was for them emotionally, but also as they, as they sought to, uh, as they sought to reenter society. And so helping people who are in prison to maintain their relationships uh, is is just so important because you know it's not just about the time in prison it's also once they get out yeah that's right. essential when uh, at that stage as well yeah and that's I want to jump to that uh, portion where uh, we talk about reintegrating uh, them into society and being uh, productive members of society and if you've been disconnected from you know all of those tethering family connections and now suddenly you're leaving uh, the the prison system and you know, how can we expect people to, to be able to, I mean, where do they land? How do they do that? And again, what does that mean for the family uh, in the long run? Exactly. And, you know, one thing that, that really, really struck me as I've focused on this is 
what the research shows about the relationship between family family relationships and recidivism, so how likely somebody is to successfully reintegrate or uh, instead to, to reoffend and return to prison. And research consistently shows that the strength of a person's family relationships is the strongest determinant of whether they are going to be able to successfully reenter society or whether they are unfortunately uh, going to reoffend and return to prison. And certainly, you know, the, we don't want to be, you know, sending people to prison, having them get out, having them reoffend, you know, just sort of enter into the cycle of, you know, in and out of prison. That's right. that's the absolute worst case scenario. But when people are separated from your, from their families, uh, that's something that can help to contribute to that. And so, you know, I think sometimes when we think about, you know, phone calls to families and having contact with families, people who are in prison, we think, oh, you know, that's a nice benefit for people who are in prison. But it's much more than that. It's actually essential to helping them have the have the ties they need so that, that when they get out of prison, they can find housing, which is essential to reentry, find employment, which is essential to reentry. You know, research shows that family is by far the most common source of housing when people leave prison. It's also the most common source or the, you know, the most important way that they're able to find jobs. Uh, once they once they leave prison for a whole host of reasons. So, yeah. you know, it's not just that family is important, but it's actually also tied to all these other important aspects of reintegrating into society. Uh, I think this is such a, a crucial conversation. Uh, before we let you go, we got just a, a minute left, Chris. Uh, so what, what comes next? What, what are you looking at on the horizon? What are some of the things that we should be watching for or supporting uh, that can make this a little better for families in terms of this process? So we're really trying to bring attention to this issue, uh, emphasize that this is an important way to look at criminal justice reform. We think this is a way in particular uh, that can appeal to uh, you know conservatives and to others who really understand the importance of the family. You know, criminal justice reform isn't you know just about some of the you know crazy things that some people on the left talk about. It's really about family impacts, and thinking about it this way can really help folks who understand the importance of the family, uh, you know, become invested uh, in this issue. So we're trying to, to raise awareness here. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are an important, there are important bills, both in Congress at the state level, on issues like reentry, reintegration, ensuring that, you know, people don't have unnecessary barriers to finding jobs and employment. And, you know, thinking about those initiatives and looking for ways to help, uh, you know, strengthen family ties, maintain family ties, ties while people are, are in prison and ensure that when they get out, uh, they, you know, don't just end up by themselves in a bad situation. That's essential as well. So, uh, you know, we have a report at the Hatch Foundation's website, uh, orinhatchfoundation.org. Encourage folks to read us, send us feedback, and, you know, let us know what we can do to help help promote this idea because it's essential. Uh, fantastic. Chris Bates is a legal fellow with the Orange G. Hatch Foundation. He's the author of this report, uh, this policy review, a family-centered approach to criminal justice reform. I don't know if there's anything more important in terms of some crucial conversations of how do we strengthen individuals and families uh, who are dealing and are within the criminal justice system. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, uh, we'll be talking with Neil Harmon, co-founder of Angel Studios, how the company is rewriting the rules for Hollywood. Stay tuned. Coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.